steadily, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. Levity, levity. Indeed, donks. It is Friday, April 9th, 2021. And this right here, orange background at all, is Morning Combat, the cure for the common fight talk show, Canadian produced or otherwise. My name is Brian Campbell. CBS Sports and Showtime are the labels that pay me. It's Friday. I get to host. No pants. No rules. We do this my way. But I still have a very credible and beloved co-host next to me. He's a lot bigger and hairier than I am. He's a lot a lot larger of a social media shadow hanging over him. <laughs> he works for those same two companies. His name is Luke Thomas LT. My brother, how is it on this fine Friday morning? Good, BC. You're in a good mood because I know you're going on vacation and you get to be rid of me. I promise not to contact you, to leave you alone so you can deal with your uh, vacation without having to worry about me. And uh, we have a great show today. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, we have a pretty damn loaded show, Luke. Not only are we going to set the stage in preview tonight's Bellator 256 card, the return of UFC on ABC on Saturday afternoon. Uh, we're going to line up, of course, also this Showtime Championship boxing card from Saturday night. We're going to send you out quickly uh, once they jump in my earlobes to the Mohegan Sun to, to get Boots Ennis and Sergey Lipinets on the scales. Also going to look back at that big one championship on TNT, uh, primetime U.S. debut. Uh, a lot of highs and lows in that one. We're going to break that down. We're going to get you ready for BC's vacation. We're going to talk about the future. We're just going to really love on each other. And Luke, um, I do encourage everyone out there to like this video, to subscribe to what we do, because I can't say it enough, Luke, as you can see our social handles below of where you can follow us. You're going to want to keep following us, okay? This is a rocket ship that's it's starting to angle upward, all right? It's going from flaccidity to, uh, to eccentricity to, to all new levels. And once that shit takes off, you're going to wish you were day one-ish with us. So uh, we got big plans. We want you to be a part of it. And Luke, I've been you know forever humbled and changed by how glorified you have looked back on your past and maybe... Outside of your family or meeting me, which, you know, you can say what you want about meeting me. It's been very financially viable for you. Um, you've detailed the greatest time of your life joining that shitty-ass fraternity at William & Mary. So I'm thinking, Luke, we start our own fraternity here at Morning Combat and see if we can't uh, recreate those great moments in, in the life of not only for you, but for all of our listeners and viewers. We'd have to live together for that to work. You want to live together? I, you know, I'd be willing to live in the same region of the country, the great Northeast, if you will, the tri-state area. Luke, you down for that? That doesn't really work. It doesn't really. You got to actually live together. You got to party together. You have to vomit together. You have to shower together. BC, you really have to do just everything together. I don't know if you're well, ready for that kind of commitment with me. Maybe we can do a virtual fraternity, uh, Phi Kappa Mansos, and I, and I, you know, it'll, it'll, wow, it'll be, it'll be something, Luke. Okay, so yeah, it uh, sounds like an organization I just can't wait to join. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, skull and bones, indeed, but extra emphasis on the bones, if you know where I'm going with that, Luke. Um, so let's set the stage how we always do. Uh, Showtime.com is a great place to go to get your 30 days free. Why? Oh, I don't know. Because some of the best movies, documentaries around. 
a loaded weekend, both Friday and Saturday night. Bellator 256, Showtime Championship Boxing. Get that shit for free, okay? And as you know, also, this weekend launches tonight. The Bellator 8-Man Light Heavyweight World Grand Prix. You can only see that on Showtime, so I believe the time is now if you want to get on board. 30 days free and then $4.99 for the next six months for new subscribers. Go to Showtime.com slash Bellator MMA for that special deal. Tell them BC sent you for sure. And I think you're going to like the way it looks on you. Uh, we, we just might guarantee that. Also, Luke, uh, MK merch season. Um, I am wearing a, a, spe- a spectacular mock-up of a potential new uh, piece of MK merch. Look at, look at this. Look at this fine shit right here, okay? But you can wear merch 1.0 at store.show.com. Really, some of the most comfy material out there. Uh, outfit your abuela, as long as she lives in the lower 48 and she's close to a major thoroughfare and uh, all that stuff. But, uh, Luke, as we've teased, I mean, ad nauseum, brother. The new shit is coming, and people are going to be able to get by it wherever you live, okay? The, the Maldives, the Falkland Islands, brother. Timor-Leste, uh, Micronesia. Bahrain? You think we got any fans out there in Bahrain, Luke? Probably. Not many, but probably. I was looking at some of our numbers. We have a ton in Australia and Norway and Canada. A lot of white people like this show, Luke. I, I would yes. be willing, though, to open it up to people of all creeds, colors, and uh, orientations. All right? Yes, it'd be nice as well. Okay, okay. Uh, please check out our bonus content. Luke's live chat yesterday. Wow, Luke, what a... What an all-time great... I mean, you had your daughter, and it was beautiful a beautiful moment, but, you know, n- nobody heard it, Luke. Yeah, I'm a fucking idiot is really what it all comes down to. And I had told myself, you have to turn on the Zoom L8 mixer before you start, otherwise your microphone won't work. I remember having a conversation with myself about needing to do that, and then sat down and proceeded to not actually do that, and then talk for three, four minutes with no one who can hear me with my daughter... Basically giving the two-year-old version of the Emancipation Proclamation speech. Uh, you know, you know, Gettysburg Address level of oratory skills, but no one heard it. No one heard yeah, it, and that's my fault. I, I heard she delivered it in Spanish, too, which is extra, extra sharp. Half and half, really. half and half. Yeah. Uh, though I'm sure you put together a great live chat. I didn't hang around for it, but I'm sure it was great after that, Luke. Also, people, please check out uh, our interview one-on-one with Marvin Vittori, who, of course, headlined Saturday's UFC card. This man's angry, and I asked him about it, so check that out. Also, Tony Harrison, who a week from now will headline PBC on Fox. Good little piece of business right there. Uh, Luke, at some point, we're going to throw over to Mohegan and find out what's going on on the scales right there. But do you have anything to say before we get going in our topics about your weekend plans? What you plan on doing next week without me, brother? It's uh, it's quite busy. I mean, let's see. We've got Bellator tonight. I've got to do some HQ stuff, which you do not because you're going to be on the on the road on vacation. So I have to do that. So we we'll watch Bellator. we got UFC on ABC tomorrow. I have to work that a little bit. And my girl's uh, birthday is coming up in a couple of weeks, so we're scouting locations for an outdoor, very small attended, uh, you know, for, for a bunch of our friends all have vaccines. So we're trying to get like eight, nine, maybe ten people together for her birthday. And I'll start to scout some locations for that this weekend. That's it, man. That's all I'm doing. If you were a truly responsible friend, you would have a half-birthday, half-vaccine party where anybody could just show up and get pricked while they're there celebrating number Trace for your daughter. Yeah, you know, if I could do that, I would. I would just start going around on the street stabbing people with these things. But that is apparently frowned upon by the justice uh, system. So I will not do that. 
All right, all right. One of our producers also saw in uh, Jersey City, Luke, when we were down there at the bomb shelter, that there was like a handwritten sign on a deli wall that said, you need a vaccine? <laughs> call call Pedro at this number. So, Luke, you know, something to, something to look out for. Uh, final bit of salesmanship. Uh, Luke and I did a fantastic, and I mean that, Road to Bellator it Light Heavyweight World Grand Prix video. You can check that out on YouTube. On the Showtime Sports channel, also Bellator MMA's channel posted it as well. Uh, it's it's just great stuff, Luke. Okay, you know what I'm saying? There's going to be eight star-studded fighters in this bracket in uh, March Madness, indeed. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. That's right. All right here. We, uh, Luke, we, did, get... well, like, we did do a good job with that, and the comments reflect that. I just want to point that out. Yeah, yeah, I know. It didn't air on television like promised, but uh, we were very professional in it, Luke, okay? <laughs> We did what we were supposed to. That's all I can say. Yeah, I mean, thank you. Thank you, Showtime. Okay, all right. All right, Luke, let's get into the show this week. We mentioned it. Showtime Championship Boxing. Oh, our our producers love to jump in and defend Showtime here. Apparently, this show is on demand, that road to Bellator. All right, whatever. Get it out of here. Let's get into the box here, Luke. I'm sure all of our MMA fans are going to love this, brother. Saturday night, a must-see welterweight clash headlining a triple header on Showtime Championship Boxing, 9 p.m. Eastern. From the Mohegan Sun in Uncasville, Connecticut, Jerron Boots Ennis. Maybe the next big thing in the welterweight division, 26-0 with 24 KOs. The 23-year-old from Philly, Luke, one of your favorite fighters, is going to step up in class considerably to take on former 140-pound world champion and hard-scrabbled veteran Sergey Lipinets. Luke, um, we're going to throw to Mohegan in a second, but I, you love some Boots Ennis. And sometimes in boxing, the MMA fans come over and they go, why don't the bright prospects step up and fight the big names so we can find out how great they are? This is that fight for Ennis. What do you love about this man? I feel like Ennis is in this place where if you've paid attention to him, you are immediately like, whoa, okay, something's up with this guy. A little bit like Teofimo Lopez maybe a couple of years ago. Something a little bit like that. I'm sure the analogy doesn't quite work, but I just mean in terms of his um, you know, popular appeal. If you've paid attention to Ennis, there's no way to come back with any conclusion other than this guy is probably going to do something special in the sport of boxing if he can keep this up. Now, when and against who and where, you know, your guess is as good as mine. But he is smart. He is athletic. He makes great decisions. He is crafty. There's just a lot. I mean, he's young, and he's just making all of these good reads, and his punches are accurate, and he's slick. I mean, there's a lot to like about it. But to your point, Lipinets is a huge step up, battle-tested against champions and the very best that division has to offer. Maybe a little bit long in the tooth in terms of miles. But while he doesn't have the overall boxing smarts, maybe, that a guy like Ennis has, he's got absolute bite down on the mouthpiece, come forward, maul you style of boxing, which for a sort of a slick operator like Boots Ennis is, that's actually a pretty big test. That's one of the one kind of style that can be a kryptonite, right? You box a brawler, you brawl a boxer. That's what right. I think Lipinets is going to try and do here. I love this fight. Here's Lipinets stepping to the scale. 16-1-1 with 12 KOs. We don't have sound here, but I'm, I'm, I'm trusting our staff will tell us what he weighs. Luke. By the way, BC, I switched to the N95 mask. It's a much better mask. I like it a lot right. better than the Thank you for that unnecessary Fauci <laughs> drop. Uh, Lipinets, 146.8. So he's inside that welterweight limit of 147. 
And now Philly's own Boots Ennis. Shout out to Miguel Flores there, the younger brother of Ray Flo, uh, looking good with the blue mask and the pink pocket square. Below Here's his boots. nose. I see, I see you, Mr. Flores. Um, there's Boots. You can see he's sucked out in his face. Yeah, he's ripped. He's ready. He's an athlete. Yep, he's an athlete. So uh, I love, Luke, that this fight isn't like young gun coming up against guy who has too many miles and is over the hill. Like, Lippinets is still the deal. Lippinets is a tough-ass mofo. Like, this is, we're really going to find out who Jerron Ennis is. And look, as a fan, that's what that's what the frick you want, right? That's what you're looking for. 146.4 for Ennis. So we do have a main event of this triple header Saturday night. So if you're wondering, look, uh, I follow a little bit of box. I don't know who this Lippinets character is, and we'll watch the face-off here before we get into this, Luke. But uh, uh is world-class. All right, one defeat in his career. That came against Mikey Garcia for Lipinets' 140-pound title. Uh, Lipinets dropped Garcia in that fight. It was a war. He came up just short on the scorecards. He moved up to welterweight. He's been 3-0-1 since. And here's the showdown here. Obviously, the height and reach advantage, Luke, and probably speed is going to go to Ennis. Speed's going to go to Ennis. I do think boxing smarts are going to go heavily in his favor, but, but, if a guy like Lipinets can get the back of Ennis on the ropes and lean on him and work the body and go all over the place and put on a high pace, like you're going to need to see that. You know who has showed he lost the fight, but you know who showed really good like lateral movement against Canelo? I thought it was Eris Landi Laura. I thought he was actually yes. really good about just sticking and moving, sticking and moving. Well, not enough to win, although you know, make it a little bit close. Ennis is going to have to do something like that. He's going to have to use that lateral movement, but he's also BC, and I think you would agree, he's going to have to do something early, I think, to get the respect of Lipinitz. If Lipinitz can just drive forward into you, he's going to be a hard guy to beat, dude. Uh, Boots Ennis needs to put a jab in his face. He needs to put combinations together. It's not just the movement. you got to stick that guy, and you have to make it count. Well, you know, Ennis can do the spectacular knockout with the uppercut you don't see coming from distance and stuff. But, you know, Lipinets is going to keep coming. He's not going to succumb to the first power shot that lands. And by the way, to circle back, I did score that fight for Lara over Canelo 115-113. I wasn't afraid to do that. I liked what I saw from the Cuban there. Uh, in terms of Lipinets, though, 3-0-1, as I mentioned, since moving up to welterweight. And Luke... Uh, he retired Lamont Peterson in a in a fight of the year contender, an absolute war. These are highlights from his last appearance when he fought to a draw with unbeaten Custio Clayton in a very good fight. Lipinets as somebody I like to call a crafty brawler, Luke. He comes forward. He does put himself in the line of fire, but there's definitely some swivel and some craft to what he's able to do on the inside. Maybe uh, is he the the top tier of welterweight and the Spence? Crawford, Ugas, Porter, Thurman, you know, realm, not necessarily, but he, I don't think he's too far removed from that. So certainly looking forward to see if he can take Ennis's power and he can get inside what this fight will turn into. So very good looking triple header Saturday night from the Mohegan Sun. Uh, these are the type of fights we need in box, by the way, young guys stepping up and making and, things. And happen. also, you know, listen, we can chill just here for a second, but like, you know, listen, whether you buy Showtime or not, you know, my salary doesn't really change. So in that sense, I don't have any kind of incentive. But to the extent that you want to take the plunge to watch Bellator, understand what you get the very next night. On Showtime, they're putting on an MMA fight tonight, and they're putting on a boxing fight tomorrow. Now, the boxing fight, in all interest of candor, BC, William Hill has Lebanitz as a plus 600, Geronis is a minus 1250. 
that boxing odds and, and MMA odds don't necessarily mean the same thing. So don't look at that as exactly what that would mean right. in MMA. But, but, and this is a substantial favorite still, should be noted, I think this is one of the biggest and best tests of Ennis' career. I liked his last fight, or at least the matchup, until it went sideways with the accidental headbutt and everything. But this is a, I'm telling you right now, folks, please mark this down. Producers, clip this out. Within the next year or two, probably two, Boots Ennis is probably going to be a champion, perhaps with multiple belts, and he's going to have defeated some A-class opponent because I think that's what he is capable of doing. And I think the road to get there has been starting for a long time, but this is the next chapter in it. And I just want to say, uh, you know, betting odds are, are wide sometimes for certain reasons that go beyond who's going to win the fight. I don't understand how wide these betting odds are, Luca. Lipinets is in this fight. If I had some cashola, even though I very much believe that uh, Boots is the next big thing at welterweight, uh, I'd take a flyer uh, with those kind of odds on Lipinets, who's a proven guy. So we'll see what happens Saturday night indeed. Uh, Luke, Saturday afternoon, late afternoon, depending on where you live. We're going to get UFC on ABC. It's a fight night card from Las Vegas. It's certainly not the main event we thought coming in. You're still going to get Marvin Vittori, and you can still catch him on Morning Combat, as I mentioned on YouTube. But it's not going to be Darren Till. It's going to be the opportunistic Kevin Holland sliding in last minute, trying to put away the bad vibes that came from his one-sided loss to Derek Brunson and sort of the, the narrative of was he trying as hard as he could? Was he okay with defeat clowning around? But even bigger than... Holland's bounce back, it's the whole idea, Luke, of how good is Marvin Vittori? Is this guy truly on a path of destruction and warfare that will lead him back to Israel Adesanya in a somewhat long-awaited rematch from their split decision a few years back when both were up-and-comers? Luke, when you look at now how the X's and O's change as Vittori looks forward to Holland coming in, um, what's the biggest things that stand out to you style-wise, adjustment-wise, on how this fight will be won? This is, at first when this fight was made, I was like, we're really going to do this with Kevin Holland after just fighting Derek Brunson and just looking lackluster to the nth degree. And you notice he's not talking as much this time, like pre-fight even. And I think he even said, I think he put out something on social media, like with him with gloves on training, being like, actions speak louder than words. It's like, right, uh... Uh, you know, I guess you can learn that lesson better late than never. Here's the point about why I've actually come around, though, and why I like it a little bit more than I thought I would, is because Kevin Holland has a a reach advantage that is significant here. 81 to 74. He's taller, 6'3 to 6. You also note, just on the feet, who's better. Uh, Kevin Holland is better, probably, by a considerable margin. But if you're Marvin Vittori... If you can make smart decisions and you're trained well and you're in good shape, there's no reason why you can't do what Derek Brunson did and perhaps more. The The issues that plagued Kevin Holland against Derek Brunson are not going away. They're going to repeat themselves. And Vittoria has shown, and I did it, and I did a whole video on my personal channel about some of the reasons um, uh, where Adesanya's takedown defense against Blahovich might be a bit of a concern. Some of the groundwork for that was laid in the Marvin Vittori fight. Vittoria was showing some ways you could actually get this guy down, which people later on picked up on. Point being is, this is a test. We know that Vittori, BC, is a good athlete. We know he is uh, with a good team. And we know that uh, he has shown us of late a capacity to rise to the occasion and do really well-rounded MMA. 
The reason why I say this is a good test is because if you strike with Kevin Holland, chances are you may not get knocked out. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. But you're probably not going to win. But you have a clear and direct path that was laid out in front of you. You have to follow that. And if you do, I don't see any way that if he does that, if he loses. So let's judge from this fight the fight IQ of Marvin Vittori. This fight puts it right on a platter for us to see. Are you going to make the clear, right, appropriate, smart decisions to get your hand raised and potentially get a title shot from it? We're going to see. Yeah, and for Vittori, we can't you know discount how rough of a road it's been. That fight without Asanya was in April of 2018 when he lost by split decision. He's had so many fights fall apart. Random things happen. Remember, he almost killed uh, Roberson in that hotel lobby that time. He had the USADA thing that didn't turn out to be a USADA thing in the end once they investigated it. He's 4-0 since then, Luke. Yes, he submitted Roberson when they finally did fight, but really you look to December 5th when he fought Jack Hermanson. That was the, the close-up of... Is this guy really for real? He went five hard rounds and won a deserved decision. I'm feeling, Luke, that he's on the kind of run that will end up get him getting a title shot, end up getting the opportunity at 27 years old from Italy that he feels like he deserves and is ready for. I do echo what you're saying, that this will give us the opportunity to find out more from him than just his explosion, his anger, his wrestling ability. We need to see some of the IQ. We need to see some good things there. Maybe even some resistance, Luke. I want to see him in a war at times in this five-round main event and see how he responds there. Um, I, I want to focus now on Holland, though, because uh, stock-wise, his could his could not have been bigger coming off of 2020 when he won, what, like five fights in six nights, it felt like, Luke, against you know anyone in the, the highlight reel knockout against Jacare off his back in the whole, is this guy a you know, a fight of the year, fighter of the year contender after a year like that. How quick before we get this guy in a in a title fight or against you know anybody huge? And dude, uh, we poured a lot of water on those balls after that performance against Brunson. Do you expect Holland to come back feeling the as much as he played off after that loss, the negativity and criticism against him? Do you expect? Holland to come back guns blazing to try to overcompensate and try to remind everybody who he believes he actually is. I don't know about guns blazing. I do expect that this will be a more disciplined fight than the last one. I think it does appear to me. I mean, he could say what he wants and obviously taking public criticism probably sucks and you don't like it. You don't agree with half of it. You probably think that, you know, most of it is unfair but there's just a you know there's a really easy question to answer. Did you do everything in your power to win the last one? And of course he didn't. And he'll tell you he didn't. And so, you know, you can have a few of those in your career if you mostly win. If you're mostly pretty good, you can have the odds on errant performance. That will still limit your upside. But you know, you can make a decent living that way. And um, okay, fine. All's well that ends well. But if you just routinely drop fights for no good reason, you're never going to be a big star. <laughs> Sorry, like part of this fight, uh, part of this game, rather, I should say, is not that you necessarily have to be the best, although that currently comes with some rewards, but that people can reasonably rely upon your efforts for some kind of, yes, entertainment. But in this particular organization, winning does matter. It does. I can't believe we have to say this, but it really, truly is extremely important. Um, Not every time, but most of the time. And so Kevin Holland getting these main event slots you want to keep getting those. You want to keep getting your phone rang. You can get the phone to ring. I mean, Angela Hill, BC, they called her a bunch, 
and she dropped, she won some and she lost some, but you can't say she didn't try her ass off in all of those contests. You turn in another performance where you did the same thing like you did in the Brunson fight. I don't know how eager they're going to be, call, you know, to call you to come lay an egg in your fucking main event if guys know they can just out wrestle you. This gig only works not if you win all the time, BC, but if you try every time. Right. I mean, the shtick only lasts for so long, Luke. There's some. There's a lot of people saying, "Hey, BC, drop the drop the bullshit." Drop the damn shtick. <laughs> Show us what you're really made of as an analyst and host, okay? All right? You know what I mean? Uh, but, you know, I, I've got moments, Luke, where I do that, okay? Where I have to do that, where I am doing that. Um, I hope Kevin Holland, for his sake, Luke, puts the best foot forward. A loss, depending on how it could happen, could be could be really damaging to for, for everything you just said right there. I mean, you have to question, was this the right... I mean, could he, should he or could he have needed more time in the wrestling mats to prepare for a comeback fight? It doesn't seem to be who he is. He's a gambler. He's going to go after it. So this is a big double down. Um, William Hill, our friends of the odds-making variety, have plus 250 Holland as an underdog, minus 333 Vittori as the favorite there. So it should be interesting. Luke, um, can you update me on what you believe, who you believe will get... Uh, the path to the middleweight title is for the winner of this. I mean, is who do you think Adesanya is going to defend against next? So Till is out with the collarbone. Um, you've got and Whitaker, who I guess doesn't he have a fight Gastelum. coming up? Yeah, huh? Gastelum. The Kevin Gastelum Killen. fight. You would imagine the winner of if if Gastelum, sorry, if Whitaker wins that, you would imagine he might be next because it's like if you're going to do a rematch and you're Adesanya are you going to do a rematch with Vittori or are you going to do a rematch with Whitaker there's obviously a lot more bragging rights that go into the fight with Whitaker and the first one was an easier fight he had more trouble in the Vittori fight than he did the Whitaker fight um, so Vittori has to win this I would say this though if Vittori wins this impressively they might do Vittori versus Whitaker and the winner of that has to you know will then eventually get out of sign there is a possibility no, I mean, well, how much that you're gonna make out of sign wait luke you got to believe if whitaker wins and i believe that fight is what next week Whitaker yes. Gastelum? Yeah. dude ufc on espn whitaker versus gaslam is the event dude they're not freaking they're not fooling around here ufc thank you for all you know for what you're giving us here i look i personally believe whitaker wins that in almost any form he's getting out of sign that's a monster fight we need to see it i think the question luke is if gaslam wins does UFC want to run back the Gastelum Adesanya rematch because it was, you know, the fight of the year and, and one of the, you know, the best thing I've ever seen in person, Luke, you know, better than that Black Crows concert on the floor of the Garden New Year's Eve 2005. Um, or does Vittori, if he, let's say Vittori smashes Holland, could he cut the line? It's interesting. So you never know, Luke. Hmm. You never know what's going to happen here. Uh, let's talk about this fight card, by the way, the, the UFC on ABC2. Although, Luke, it doesn't seem like we have a uh, strong co-main event if Arnold Allen, Sadiq Youssef holds up as Wikipedia has it, there are some fights I'm really interested in. I'll give you the floor first. What is, you know, sort of your second most anticipated one on this card? Um, it's interesting. There's some decent ones on the prelim card. Nothing great, but some decent ones. Uh, but it's got to be, I would say, Nina Ansaroff and Mackenzie Dern. Mackenzie Dern yes. says she's ready for a title shot now in the women's strawweight division. We'll see about that. I, st I think her, she has shown that she has the capacity to take a punch without losing composure. What she has not shown is a leveling up uh, in skill in the striking department to to marry with that the ability to take a punch. Right. So you see, most jujitsu folks who you know work in the gi and you live that life. 
can be a bit of a transition for them to take punches. McKenzie has passed that test with flying colors, but they're putting the rest of the pieces of her game together, I think, is very much still a work in progress. Nina Ansaroff, to me, was surging before uh, her last fight, and then, of course, she had the kid. So she had lost to Tatiana Suarez, but she gave Suarez everything she could handle. Suarez hasn't even fought since then. And then before that, she'd be Randa Marcos and Claudia Cadelia. Like, dude, if she hasn't fallen off a cliff, um, you know, and I've seen certain women have, you know, have children and come back, bounce back in incredible fashion. She is a professional athlete. This is a tough fight for Mackenzie Dern. I'll say this. If you're looking to... You know, be impressed by what Mackenzie Dern has done in MMA. You have no better opportunity than this weekend because she has her hands full. Yeah, this is a great fight on paper. Like, shout out to the UFC strawweight division and the matchmaking here. A negative shout out to you, Luke, on your constant reference to the kid. That's something like a you know twenty three year old single meathead would say. Okay, can you put some respect on the uh, Nunes Nunes Ansaroff household and and not refer to that beautiful uh, fine daughter as a the kid? But um. Yeah, a lot of questions for Nina to answer. She's 35 now. It's been a long while. That four-fight win streak that you mentioned was snuffed out by Tatiana. Um, Dern has a huge opportunity, Luke, to make a big leap because UFC has kept Nina ranked really high and basically the top three or four in this division throughout her time away. So this really gives Mackenzie Dern, despite what you may believe about her accent, Luke, and how it's changed over the years, this gives uh, her a big opportunity to make a leap. Do you agree with these betting odds, Luke, that still have Nina as a minus 149 favorite, Mackenzie Dern plus 120? Yeah, I think that's right, because you would want to favor somebody who's got great takedown defense, is not a slouch on the ground themselves, obviously not the level that Mackenzie is, but not a slouch, hard hitter, battle-tested, um, you know, she was never all that great midway through her career, but the last chapter she's been in has been uh, not only her best, but uniquely remarkable. She has done really, 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 really well, impressively so. Um, yeah, Mackenzie Dern's going to have her handful. She Mackenzie does not have great takedowns. She got okay takedowns against someone like uh, Nina Ansaroff. You're gonna, you know, you have to force her to make a mistake. Let's see. You know, I feel like this could be that moment that Mackenzie Dern like splashes the pool and shows us that she really does have that uh, upper bound potential, the upper bound limits of her omerta, <laughs> if you will, Luke. I know you have. Uh, Luke, do you have any emotional connection to the preliminary main event when 37-year-old Jim Miller, man, you never know when he enters the cage. Will it be the last time he'll go in there against Joe Selecki? And I want to let you know, Luke, that Miller, just by stepping foot in the cage, will separate himself from a first-place tie for UFC history with Cowboy Cerrone to become the all-time leader in appearances with 37. And should he get the victory, Luke, he will move into a second-place tie with Demian Maya with 22 career wins in the UFC, which would put him one behind Cowboy as well. Now, obviously, with Cowboy still being kind of active, this whole thing could could flip-flop a few more times. Um, do you do you love you some Jim Miller? I mean, are, do you care about this? I do. I mean, individually, the fight, I don't really care about. At this point, it's just to see what Jim Miller can put together. I interviewed him before, I think, one or two fights ago, um, just before I had come to uh, MK full-time, CBS full-time. And I asked him, like, what are you looking for? Like, you know, you're not close to a title, which he acknowledges. Um, wh wh why are you still sticking around? Like, what's your motivation? And he said, he told me he was still looking for the perfect fight, like to go in there and just perform the, the, the way you know you can. He got pretty close with his last fight um, with the submission win. So 
that's really his motivation. I, hard to cheer against a guy like that, especially one who is just, you know, seems like an ordinary dude for the most part with, with some extraordinary abilities. And, He's got factory uh, yeah. town vibes, Luke. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, he does. He does. Yeah. I've actually been, I've been to his gym, uh, him and his brother's gym. I don't know which one they're in now, but years ago, I actually cut a pilot for Fuel TV, and we went to their gym, and uh, it's very, you know, at the time, I don't know what it is now, but they, they were, both he and Dan were in the UFC at the time, his brother Dan Miller, and uh, it was not like some, you know, amazing facility, but it didn't matter, right? They got the job done, so that's been a bit of a metaphor Wait, for look, his career. you're not going to just bury the lead here. If you cut a pilot for a second television show, can you explain to us what this was, what happened, why we're not here right now? That's how I ended up on Spike TV's MMA Uncensored Live. The guy who cut the the uh, the guy who did the I tried out for a show on Fuel. Fuel became Fox Sports Two, but at the time it was Fuel for an MMA talk show, um, and I got it. But I had I I had applied with, um, and it was me and and the, these other two gents who were trying out. It was me, Stephen Crowder, who is now a um, I don't know something like a political troll a little bit. Um, and then Jamie Kilstein, who was a comedian, the three of us tried out, and I got it. And then it looked like Fuel was going to green light it, uh, and I was just going to have my own television show. And then uh, the UFC, like right after we got a call, being like, "Yeah, looks like it's good." Um, the UFC went into business with uh, Fox Sports, and then Fox Sports switched the channel to Fox Sports Two and said they only wanted UFC programming at that point. And then there was no show. It was called MMA Now. And I still have the video. Wow, more like MMA then, but wow, look, yeah. I, I like this. I like this backstory. That's, that's well yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's uh, a couple other ones. Mike Perry going to be in there against Daniel Rodriguez, and Perry coming in as the betting underdog. Luke, is there any is there pressure for Mike Perry to win this one, or is Ocean's Daddy going to be allowed to linger because he makes fun TV no matter what? I think it's a little bit the latter, right? I mean, his record is not exemplary. Um, he hasn't put a two-fight win streak together since 2017 um, and against two guys who are no longer in the UFC. Um, I, you know, I, I do, I, I've always thought that if you just watch Mike, he's a good athlete, a very good athlete, and could be more. But whether he, enough, whether he wants to do the things to be more, we're going to have to see. This is the better fight for him than the Tim Means fight. I think we can probably say that. But Daniel Rodriguez, dude, he is super tough. Um, he has been very surprising to me. And one of these guys who I did not expect to be as good as he has been. Um, so we'll see. And Luke, also smiling Sam Alvey, 0-4-1 in his last five. Is this the last stop for the 34-year-old? If yeah. Should he lose to Julian Marquez? Will he be able to walk off and say, I beat washed Rashad Evans one time by split decision. What do you want from me? <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, you know, I don't want to badmouth the guy or wish that he loses his job, but I, you know, I don't know that his spot on the roster is in any other position other than tenuous. Um, Yeah, I'll just leave it at that. All right. Impa Kasangane also making his that, first that's return. The one, that's the guy that got sent to the land of wind and ghosts yeah, by since, Joaquin Buckley. Uh, Buckley put him on that poster last year, so shout out to that fella as well. Uh, Luke, let's get into tonight's card a little bit deeper. It's Bellator 256. You and I joined up on some CBS Sports HQ weigh-in coverage reaction, all that good stuff as well. Um, also with Rashad, who fought both of these gentlemen in the main event. Luke, the eight-man 
205-pound Bellator Light Heavyweight Grand Prix kicks off from the Mohegan Sun this evening. It's Ryan Bader in a rematch nine years in the making against Lyoto Machida. Obviously, things have changed, Luke. Bader, 37, won the Heavyweight World Grand Prix, was a two-division champion until he got stopped by Vadim Nemkov last year and lost his light heavy belt in Machida. 42 years old, but uh, he's still got something, at least. I mean, he only loses by split decision in close fights lately, it seems. Do you have any expectations, Luke, given that Bader is the, the, the rising stock of the two at the moment, that we'll see anything but Bader, rinse and repeat, ground and pound, survive in advance, get one step closer to Nemkov? I mean, can you give me a path to victory here for the Dragon? It's not going to be easy. I think that Bader's probably not what he once was, although, you know, it's interesting. Bader is way better than the Bader we're looking at now who fought Lyoto the first time, but he peaked after this fight, and I don't know that he's still at that peak, uh, especially at light heavyweight. At heavyweight in Bellator, I, he might hold that title for a while, but uh, at light heavyweight, it, it's hard to say exactly. I think you're right. Probably Bader being the deserved favorite is important. You know, for Lyoto Machida... You know, listen, he lost to Musasi and he lost to Phil, but he kept it kind of close. I think he's dangerous for um, people who aren't very mindful of their P's and Q's when it comes to level changes and wrestling shots. He can be something of a mystifying um, threat there. But, you know, how does he beat Phil? How does he beat Ryan Bader over the course of five rounds? Dude, of course he can land a punch, an errant kick. He's got good accuracy, good timing. He's got, you know, unusual accuracy. Uh, even at this advanced stage, but it's very much, I think you would agree, this is Ryan Bader's fight to lose. So uh, you mentioned he may hold that heavyweight title for forever. I, I say at least until Rumble Johnson moves up and challenges him. Though That'd be an interesting rematch as well. But seriously, uh, the thing about Machida is, I, I, you know, I said it before, I don't think he has that same explosiveness of the guy, of course, that stopped Rashad Evans and, and was a threat at two divisions, but he can slow down a fight and still play chess with you and still give you a hell of, a, of trouble. I mean, look, he was in that Phil Davis fight. His split decision loss to Musasi, as you mentioned, was sort of, you know, interesting. I mean, he's got to kind of, you know shit the fight up a little bit to do that at this point, but he's still tricky, accurate, so it's really going to be up to Bader to not get into a points battle with him. Those those takedowns are going to have to be there for him, but if Machida can give Bader a second thought on, on shooting, I'm going to have to see Bader the boxer come out, but be confident. The same Bader the boxer, Luke, against the slower heavyweights who brought out this left hook that we hadn't seen before and was just confident on the feet. Uh... You, could you argue that if you walk into the spider web of Machida and think I'm going to stop him with my hands, that's the best chance to get caught with something? Maybe. But if I'm Bader, I don't want to be messing around for five rounds with this guy. I want to be looking to make a statement here. And in the heavyweight tournament against Mitrione, he didn't fuck around in exchange with that guy on the feet. He just went right after the wrestling and took him down and used that to win. That was a, that was the smart play. That's what I'm talking about with Vittori and Holland. It's like, dude, what's the smart, obvious call here? Why are you fucking around and striking with this guy? You know, you have to do a little bit, of course, and set things up. All right, fine. But, you know, just assuming you could fight this fight in that phase of the game and nothing bad will happen to you is 
kind of silly. So I, 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 I'm expecting a disciplined performance here from Ryan Bader. I mean, if you're Leota Machida, like, what is your angle in this tournament? you got to be one of the biggest long shots in this thing. Him and then Yakshamuradov are probably two of the longest odds because Corey Anderson, you do think at 30 years of age, can do something special here. On the whole right side, you've got absolute murderers. Even if Leota makes it to the finals, he's got two guys on the other side of the bracket who have already beat him, one of which, in the case of Yoel Romero, finished him off with elbows. You know, my man's got a rough a rough run to the uh, to the finals there and, and and to win. But you know, to start, obviously Ryan Bader is um, you know uh, forget everything else. That's enough for him to handle right there. Obviously, this fight kicks off this tournament. We're so excited for it. People, of course, can check out our Road Two, as we mentioned, the Road Two, the Light Heavyweight World Grand Prix, which has a lot of this stuff we're talking about. But Luke, it's interesting. This morning, I made a nice appearance on CBS Sports HQ with our our good buddy Tommy Tran. You know Tommy T with the uh, one of the better hair parts on this side of uh, his quaff is resume. special. Uh, he asked me straight up, Luke, to sort of fill in my bracket, March Madness style, and try to since we're kicking this tournament off tonight. Try to make my best guess on who wins it, Luke. And it, it turned out to be harder than I thought because there really are some interesting flip-a-coin matchups. Obviously, Rumble Romero is one of those. We don't know who's going to win that. We don't know if the winner of that becomes the Dark Horse favorite. I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen. I still really believe Corey Anderson and Phil Davis have potential to be sort of, you know, Dark Horses if they can really come out and wrestle and, and, and look at these five-round matchups as wars of attrition and try to steal wins that way. Um... Are you able right now, Luke, to sort of identify who you think above all the real favorite should be, who you think has dark horse and sleeper t potential, and who you think, you know, thanks for playing, but I don't see a path for you to win this tournament? Yaksha Muradov has his work cut out for him to win the whole thing, certainly. He might be able to win a couple fights. Uh, he might be, might be able to get to the finals, but I don't, I don't like his overall chances. Uh, same with Machida. I think um, your favorite probably going to be probably Nemkov, which I know is the easy answer. He is the champion, but I don't know. He's young, athletic. He's just coming into his own. Like, ah, a, he's going to be a tough. Phil might do it. That's a tough guy to beat. And then you have to think, you know, it's funny. If Phil wins and then uh, Rumble wins, that's a rematch from the Baltimore card where I remember this one. I covered it live. This was the famous... Uh, scrum where Dana White said Vanderlei Silva or uh, Cyborg like Vanderlei Silva in a dress, and this was also the famous way in where Rumble and Phil Davis were supposed to face off. Rumble had just come up from World Series of Fighting, uh, and instead of facing off with Rumble, Phil Davis goes and walks in front of John Jones. And I remember John being like, "You better worry about Rumble first And then of course he couldn't do shit to him. Um, so that was an interesting moment. So you could potentially get that, in which case you would imagine Rumble would get the, to the end. I'm going to say I like my number one choice is going to be Nemkov. I think I think Rumble is probably your unknown, maybe dark horse a little bit. Maybe Corey Look, We have no idea. Horse. Look, he could just start sending everyone to hell. He can look shitty and still win by knockout, right? It's possible. It's possible. Unless he gets tired, in which case he's not the same thing he once was. But he's very much your just hard to know. I, I, I think Bader also, you know, he did lose to Nemkov quite, quite thoroughly. But he's got a real shot at redemption here. I think he can beat everyone on his side of the bracket. So don't look past Ryan Bader being in a second finals in a Bellator Grand Prix. That is a very real possibility. Uh, if you're wondering who I did end up picking on HQ this morning, Luke, my final, it was Nemkov versus Corey Anderson. Ooh. And I had Nemkov 
I had Nemkov coming out on top. It's it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, it could go anyway, Luke. It could go anywhere. And By the way, Mackenzie Dern, Mackenzie Dern made 115 pounds. So there you go. All right, all is well with the world. Uh, Luke, quickly on this Bellator 256 card this evening, uh, Adam Boric making a bounce back here at featherweight as a betting underdog against Jeremy Kennedy. Uh, he's got a he he came out of nowhere, surprised the crap out of us. We thought maybe he's a player in this Grand Prix. He kind of walked away humbly. Now he's in there against a battle-tested veteran of the UFC and PFL. Uh, this feels like a very much must-win because of that win that Boric had over Mike Hamill. It did impress me. And he had the, this win here over Pat Curran. Um, you know, Boric, had, Boric beat Curran, Hamill. Oh, he had the Hamill win after, but let me just explain this. He had the... He had the uh, the win over Aaron Pico, which sort of sent him into the stratosphere. But then eventually he ran into Caldwell. He lost. Now he's had two wins since then. Both of them were a little bit shaky. So he got back onto the winning track, but they were a little bit dicey in terms of how he did it. This is a big test against Kennedy, who is a very well-trained fighter, a good one. We're going to actually see, like, is Adam Boric, he's still young enough where you don't want to close the book, but like, we're going to get a pretty clear sense of, is this someone who's going to contend for a title this year or not? This fight will probably give us a pretty good answer about that. Yeah, is he really hungry or just Hungarian, Luke? We're going to find that out tonight. I like him a lot, by the way. Uh, bad jokes notwithstanding. Luke, um, so interesting in the co-main event here in the women's flyweight title picture in Bellator. Juliana Velasquez looks to be the real deal out of Brazil. She beat Alima Le McFarlane. Who gets the next shot at Juliana? Is it Alima Le in a rematch? Is it Kana Watanabe who beat uh, our friend uh, Azul Lara last week? Or is it the winner of this co-main event when 37-year-old Liz Carmouche goes in there against former Invicta FC champion Brazil's Vanessa Porto? Porto? Porto, yeah. Porto is the Portuguese way to say that, Luke. Porto? Is it? Porto? Porto? Um, I think it's going to be Liz Carmouche. If she gets the win, I don't think they want to do a rematch, but Bellator is going to be a little bit interesting in that regard because remember they've done, they did Pitbull versus Strauss four times. So if it ends up being a situation, not, I don't know if all of those were for the title, but they did, they did those, those fights four times. Coker's not afraid to run a fight back three, four times. He'll do that. You'll see that a lot with him. It's not, I remember Melendez and Thompson, they did three different uh, times. So he'll, he'll, he'll make those trilogy and sometimes, Quadrilogy? Uh, I forget what the word of it is. Quadrilogy? I forget. Anyway. Yeah, he ran back uh, Gracie and Shamrock a third time, Luke. <laughs> who, who wouldn't want to see that again? Anyway, you get the idea. I think I think that they're probably looking to get a fresh face in there. People know Liz Carmouche. She did give Shevchenko a, I won't say a tough fight. Don't uh, say it. Don't say it. Don't say a we a weird. She didn't get blown out by Shevchenko. How about that? She didn't get blown. She didn't out. try to win though, Luke. If I'm being really honest, she tried no. to survive, and that's yeah, not. Yeah, she did. I mean, she didn't. You're right. No, that's fair. But still, she does have some considerable ability, and she's you good. would imagine she's that tough. you know, yeah, yeah. She's 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 tough. Also, of course, Katzengano could also. I mean, look, if Katzengano, who is a monster monster favorite tonight against Olivia Parker. If she wins, I'm telling you, they're going to get Cyborg and Zingano for the name factor. It's going to happen. So, yeah. Yes, that, that's probably right. All right. All right, Luke. Uh, those are your weekend look-aheads beginning tonight, of course, with Bellator 256. Let's look back, Luke. Wednesday night was a big one for our friends over there in Singapore. Chatri Sidyong Tong and won championship, making their live TNT American television debut 
excuse me, in primetime, uh, right after a, a sort of star-studded AEW wrestling card, which appeared, which included a Mike Tyson appearance. We found out after the fact, Luke, that the cable ratings were kind of disastrous. You could argue that what we saw in the cage, though, was the same mix. A little bit of disastrous, a little bit, hey, I kind of liked what I saw here. Luke, all things considered, from Alvarez's DQ loss to Mighty Mouse's upset title defeat, what'd you think? Now that one championship kind of got its American close-up, we've been critical in the right re- for right for the right reasons against this promotion. What was your biggest takeaway from watching this broadcast? My biggest takeaway, and again, I said this on what was it today is Friday. I just said this on Wednesday show or Monday show. You know what does you're asking about one, but let me just say this outright: if you're any promotion, I don't care what. Well, if you're regional, this doesn't apply. But if you're any kind of promotion like a Bellator or a One, where you might have a home base, a country, or a, uh, in the case of um, then they might have a series of countries where it's a little bit more like that. But you get the idea, a region that they are natively uh, doing business in and they're trying to expand to an international audience. Bellator would fit that in a different sort of part of the map, but you get it. And then, of course, um, you know you have one trying what they're trying. If you're any one of those types of organizations and your name is not the UFC, you have to sell fans. Why should we watch your product? It's a very simple question. But it's going to be actually kind of hard to answer. You got to give the UFC uh, all the credit uh, because they have a very compelling product. They put on routinely compelling matchups, and they charge an arm and a leg for it. But the fan demand is simply there, right? So I mean, that, that, that you can complain about pay per view prices, but if they're re- pulling in those numbers, it tells you, man, the, the 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 UFC has always had strong loyalty. But now they've got forty five, fifty weeks of your year. Uh, in many cases, if you add in contender series and everything else, blocked up. So you got to tell one of those fans there's another alternative out there to pay attention to. So you're asking about one. That's the broader context. Here was what I thought. I thought they made a couple of right calls. They put Eddie Alvarez on the card. That can't be anything but good for you. They put Demetrius Johnson on the card. Fight fans hey, might Rich know Franklin. who he is. Ace Franklin was right. solid. And they had Rich Franklin in the booth, and they didn't have him in some kind of side role he had a very prominent role next to Michael Schiavello and so you would have thought that happens but then when you think about it dude it's like well what is that supposed to matter one Eddie Alvarez fans know that's true but I don't know how much there was a lot of publicity for this card Demetrius Johnson not a ratings draw and the numbers reflect that you can say what you want about him as a talent but just not a draw and it's like Rich Franklin dude how many current fans in the post McGregor Rousey era even know who he is you know, we know who he is. We have they reverence should. for what he did. How many do yeah. they know? I don't think very much. So you're adding a bunch of names where I don't know how much it actually does for ratings. And here was the bigger point, BC. They never made a case for, like, why this was a unique product. Oh, we also have fights. is not a pitch to fight fans. Oh, we also have good fighters. That's not a pitch. That's not really going to get it done. It looked black in the audience because they had the, the lights low, like everything else. The cage didn't look that different. Yeah, they had a red card. The, the cage was a circle. You could knee to the ground of a, head, a down opponent. How many casual fans can understand these are differences between the organizations? How many really know um, that that's the kind of thing you can do? And, of course, they had the Rod Tank fight. That's a little bit unusual. Okay, fine. Um, but I, I'm just trying to make a point. It was not a very effective pitch on why I even agree they do have a unique product. This was not a strong showcase of it. 
All right, I, I liked and I didn't like a lot of different things. I thought the broadcast did look professional, right? The the dark arena in Singapore, the lighting, the all that. I thought them opening the broadcast with Eddie Alvarez warming up in the cage, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, okay, I know this. You know what I mean? If you're a casual fan, you're like, I know this guy. And by the way, Eddie Alvarez was ripped and ready for this one. They got right into the action. There were some things there I really enjoyed. Um Let's talk about this Eddie Alvarez ending, though. It, it ended quick. It ended before it started. He went in there against Yori Lapikas. Not, not, not mine, Luke. Yori Lapikas. And a minute and three seconds in, we got a DQ for the back punches to the back of the head. And there seemed like to be a lot of confusion on the broadcast about the rules. Um, you know, Lapikas turned his head inward to sort of keep the ear covered and expose the back of his head. Eddie's landing four or five shots. Uh, you have to believe if you're one, this is, you know, in a lot of ways, a worst case scenario. You don't even get either an Eddie win, an Eddie loss, or an Eddie brawl. You get 63 seconds in controversy. Uh, should this fight have been a DQ, Luke? Because once that red card was popped, I'm like, really? You know, were these blows illegal? Yes. Were they somewhat repeated after a warning? Sure. But I didn't feel like Lapikas could not continue in the moment, although obviously when Eddie did that post-fight interview and he's basically crying, uh, you know, talking about how Lapikas got taken off on a stretcher, I'm not trying to underplay what punches to the back of the head do. We've seen disastrous results. Um, it's just in the moment from the explanation of the announced crew, it just felt like a debacle, and I didn't necessarily feel as a fan like the fight should have been stopped. How did you receive this sort of opening statement from one? <sighs> God, uh, uh, fouling in MMA, like, <laughs> if you're not going to have a commission, I would like you to have better rules about fouls. Like, everyone is trying to figure out rules to make judging better, which obviously is a extremely important thing to do. And they have a system there which the fight is judged as a whole versus round by round, uh, which I like and prefer. But... No one is really doing innovative work on rules practices around fouling. Here we are in a situation where it's like, is the target legal or illegal? Uh, are all of them legal or some of them legal? Uh, did he intend to do it? Did he not intend to do it? If you move into the punches intentionally, or at least seemingly you move into the punches intentionally, to what extent is that a foul? How can you know if he intentionally gave his back of the head to induce fouling? from Eddie Alvarez. There's some of that because it does appear to me like he turns his head away, but you don't know how much that is just instinctual, just trying in the moment to, to you know, uh, not get wet in the rain kind of a scenario. So um, I don't I don't love the DQ. It's certainly unfortunate for Eddie. He, to your point, he looked to be in tremendous physical condition. I feel bad for him, but I just feel like in general, do we do this every week where we're like, you know, we're trying to parse what the rules of MMA are for fouling, and they're fucking terrible. They're never clear. We never know exactly what the rules are and how they should be applied and what comes first and what doesn't and where referee discretion comes in. So I like the red card system, but other than that, I don't have a, I don't have a strong opinion well, about it. What is the red card system? Because I thought they were taking a point away from him, which in the moment I'm like, okay, that's the right call. You told him not to do something. He did it take the point away. Obviously, Lapikas's ability to continue or not continue seemed to dictate where the fight was going after that, but does the red mean you're disqualified straight up? Yeah, by the way, I'm uh, a little dizzy. <laughs> That's why I took my glasses off. I don't know why. So if I pass out on the air, you know that uh, something's gone wrong, but uh, so I'm going to try and like muddle through this a little bit. I mean, that's disturbing, Luke. Okay, that's uh, yeah. Know, I don't. I well, I took a bunch of pills before the show, so it's probably got something to do with uh, with that. Um, 
I think I'll be not like prescription pills, like supplements. Like, I, I think like I'll be okay. Recreational drugs. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Like like heavy, heavy fentanyl is what I just took. Um, no, in all seriousness, I think I'll be okay. I'm just a little bit lightheaded. Um, what was sorry? You have to ask the question again, and I'm a little bit out of it. So one more time. Uh, the red card equals. Oh, the DQ red card. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, well, it's obviously borrowed from Pride. Pride had a yellow and red card system. Yeah, I have to go back and double check, but I usually am under the impression that if they gave you a yellow card for stalling, it it, it would uh, take a point or like a fine of their purse or both, um, and they could give you, I think, two of those. I, again, I'd have to go back and check. Don't do it wrong because I'm not making a hard and fast claim. But in soccer, dude, they show you the red card, you're out. And so you'll have a situation where you have 11 on 10, and the two teams have to play that way. My understanding is when they show you the red card, that's it's a wrap. But they can show you a series of yellows if they want uh, beforehand. I have to double-check with one and how Pride did it. But there usually was a financial penalty, and uh, they could only give you so many of those before they had to disqualify you. But he just went right to red. And look, in the referee's defense or whatever, I mean, after... Eddie was warned. He even followed up with two clean punches after. So I guess that could have been the deciding factor. And, and you know, do we find out if Lapikas was okay, Luke? Did you ever see that? I think we would have heard if he wasn't. But uh, yeah. I did not officially hear anything. Obviously just a disastrous opening and start. And they, they had a vamp. And they didn't really know what was going on in the announce booth. But we get quickly to the main event here. Uh in terms of the reason why you came, and it was Demetrius Johnson fresh off that flyweight tournament win facing reigning champion in the division, Adriano Moraes from Brazil. Uh, DJ came in, Luke, as an overwhelming betting favorite. And, you know, Chevello's the king of hyperbole. Remember he called that first card they did after this uh, TNT Bleacher Report deal the biggest night in mixed martial arts history. He called DJ the recognized GOAT on his way to the cage. Look, that pissed me off. Is DJ in the GOAT category? Of course. Or wait, with a recognized GOAT, my ass, all right? Maybe that was the bad karma they needed for this guy to get sent, unfortunately, to hell. This was alarming to see, and it became it, it was due to the result in the end of a knee that would be illegal in American mixed martial arts, but is legal in one. Now, one has different rule sets. Luke, they showed them at the beginning of each fight. One of the rule sets I actually like, they score fights as a whole rather than round by round. So that one I like. There's some variations to the rules. You can knee a downed opponent, but you can't kick to the face. And the knee, after DJ was dropped by a punch but seemed to be okay, was really the defining blow that knocked him out cold and ended this fight. Luke, I got a few questions regarding this because it seems bad karma for DJ because after the Piotr Jan Aljamain Sterling fiasco that we just saw in the UFC bantamweight title fight, Demetrius Johnson had tweeted, here's the thing. You can't stall the fight by sitting on your knees. Knees to a grounding grounded opponent should be allowed, exclamation point. Well, they were in this fight, Luke, and this man was sent to the shadow realm. How surprised were you with this ending? Was it inevitable, knee or not? I mean, what do you got here, Luke? Because not only did Marais look like he's about three weight divisions bigger than DJ, Again, this was alarming to see one of the greatest fighters in history succumb like this. Not a loss to Cejudo where I thought he got robbed and DJ was nursing two injuries. This was straight up, um, I have your soul in my hand, and I'm rubbing it on my kneecap right now. Yeah, I mean, Ad uh, Adriano Mar Marais is, um, first of all, he's fought at flyweight, I think, most of his career. He's made flyweight, so, you know, at, at 125. Um, so, uh, I don't know why, listen... I don't know what the truth is about the weight cutting. 
in one. You know, I, I have heard a lot of things that make me believe that the official word that they've solved weight cutting probably is not true. Um, I certainly do not take their word for it at all, uh, especially since there's no transparency with their weigh-ins and there's no third party validating anything about it. Is it possible that they were, you know, uh, not weighing in at the same weight, even with the hydration testing? Uh, to me, it seems entirely possible, but who the hell knows what the reality is. DJ doesn't seem to think that that was the biggest issue. He had articulated pretty consistently that the distance closing was the problem. Guys, I got to tell you, listen, the UFC has the majority of the best talent on earth, but they don't have all of them. And Morais has been a guy who has been looking good for a long time. He trains at ATT. He is quite talented. This is, yes, surprising. To argue it's not surprising, I think, is a little bit silly. But when you really reflect on it, this was a tough challenge for DJ. You fight enough of these. Eventually, your card's going to get pulled. I, I will say that, like, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword by saying you, the knee should, to the head of a grounded opponent should be legal. But at least DJ was consistent after. You know, folks were saying, oh, weren't you, you know, to your point, saying this about the uh, the uh, the Jan and Sterling fight. He was like, yeah, I like the rules. We should keep the rules. I just didn't do what I was supposed to. And he wasn't stalling. I mean, he was trying to get up, but he, you know, he was there for just a split second. Also, don't forget the uppercut from Rice that dropped him. And then it was the knee that, you know, really closed the show. But he got put to the ground by virtue of one of these kicks. Also, he, was, he lost the first round. Rice took him down and held him. So... Um, yeah, that dude is a legitimately amazing flyweight slash bantamweight. I don't know. Yeah, it's just a fair win. But listen, the UFC doesn't mind letting people go who still have something to give. And I still think Eddie and DJ have something to give. But the deal is always the same. Uh, you may still have something to give, but they had the majority of your best days. That is true. They had the majority of their best days. So the chances are is one's going to get something a little bit less than that. All right, I'm going to ask you some very hard questions right now, Luke, and no one will dead wrong you here because you're, it's, not, it's possible you're not even conscious right now. You're just working on, on autopilot. Dude, I'm on autopilot. I won't remember this show. You know what I'm saying? I'll be like the guy who's like, hey, you remember that round where you, where you did this and that after you got dropped in the previous round? I'll be like, I don't remember anything. That's how I feel right now. Since Chevalo is fine with hyperbole and making reaches, let's do the same. Uh, the great Demetrius Johnson will be 35 in August. Uh is this going to be the, the sort of wake-up call that was bizarre and surprising loss notwithstanding that, you know, he's on the other side, that he's no longer of the elite pound-for-pound pound top 10 mold? I am a little bit hesitant to go there um, okay. for a couple of reasons. He was off for, what, 18 months before this? So that's one factor to consider. Two, Marais is very, very good. Marais would fit in UFC no problem. I hope folks can understand that he might even win a belt over there. So that's how good he is. Um, so there's that. I think the other part is, like, dude, when you're asking why he lost, what are the reasons? And he made some mistakes. I think that part is incontestable, right? But they weren't egregious ones. And you're like, okay, um, are they related to athletic decline? Maybe. Maybe he's not quite as fast and nimble and making reads as quick as he used to. That seems possible. But there's not a ton of evidence to necessarily conclude that. Let's see. I think your point is well taken. 35 at 125 or 135 pounds for one. That is that is old. That's really, really old. But it is also the best one to ever do it in the weight class. I think we should see how this plays out before we make bold proclamations. 
All right. Well, at the one championship overnight ratings are in, Luke, and despite that strong lead-in from AEW, they, they were disastrous. Now, you can say a lot of things about why. Are TNT viewers trained to watch MMA? Probably not. Demetrius Johnson has never been a ratings draw as much as we love his ability and the fact that he's such an entertaining fighter. There's a reason his title fights were main eventing UFC fight nights. But here's the deal. This kicks off four consecutive Wednesdays for one championship on TNT. And by the way, I love that time slot, the day. I love what they're doing, right? Like, you can't negatively say that. But the first card, which had Eddie Alvarez on it, bombed with DJ there. And I don't think the rest of the way they have anyone from the standpoint of like, oh, I'm a UFC or Bellator fan. I know this guy. I've got to check this out. Are, 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 could they even could they do any better than this? Are they going to be headed into some dark territory the next three weeks? What do you, yeah, what I, do you I don't have know, man, sort of they had a great lead. Your point had a great lead in. The ratings for that were like eight hundred thousand and some change, and then it ended up being like two hundred thousand and change for one, which means that like the viewership just fell off a rock uh, uh, or a cliff, like a rock. Um, I, it, listen, man, it's like they don't have a ton of publicity. It's hard for any other promoter who's native to North America to get onto North American television in a competitive way. Um, yeah, I don't think they're going to be successful here. But that doesn't mean that, you know, listen, one says a bunch of shit that I find crazy and don't believe. But I'll say it again, dude. I like their product. I think it's good. It's just breaking into the American market right now. You know, <laughs> good easy. luck. Yeah, and look, they had uh, Umbar Kane, a.k.a. Rug Rug, the, the jacked up African heavyweight on this card, but they didn't run the fight on the broadcast, Luke. They ran a quick highlight. He needed less than two minutes to make Patrick Schmidt a, a, a Schmidt stain on his draws, Luke. I would have liked to maybe in hindsight have seen a guy like that in the opener. You know I mean? Look, can you argue with Eddie Alvarez in the opener? No. But, you know, just what can you do to just grab people that might not be mixed martial arts fans? That's not a bad idea. And they did close the broadcast, by the way, with the Muay Thai sensation that we mentioned, Rod Tang. I will not attempt to... Uh, who would pronounce his last name, and that guy just 23. I mean, he's fun. He's a stud. So I'm not against them doing creative, weird stuff, putting in other disciplines of mixed martial arts on the same card. I'm not against them bringing in old names, pro wrestlers, whatever they have to do to grab the attention, Luke. I just question if this is going to work, and it's going to be interesting. Final hyperbolic question that you must answer under oath, Luke. Let's be honest here. True or false? What would have given them more ratings on Wednesday night? The debut of one championship on TNT with DJ and Eddie Alvarez or one championship, the apprentice edition with Chatri? which one episode one, which one would have given them better ratings? Uh, honestly, maybe the apprentice. Well, maybe Chatri's got to realize he's got to sub himself in. He's got to call his own number here, Luke. Okay. He's the real hero that TNT needs. Yes, Chachi and I can't wait for the I can't wait for the press release that says so. What if we did ten thousand views on TNT? Four billion people in Asia watch this card, Luke. Remember, it's the twenty twenty one best debut for a reality series in Asia, based in English, in a room under the blankets with all the lights out. That's that they kill That's in it. that coveted demo. That is it right there. All right. One championship put to bed. Final topic of our main segment this week, Luke. We got an interesting boxing match Saturday night on ESPN when Joe Smith Jr. takes on Maxime Vlasov for a vacant light heavyweight title. couple of things of why 
our fans might want to have interest in this. Uh, one, it's a decent fight and it should be action-packed. Two, the winner could very well be matched against Artur Bieterbeev next for three of four light heavyweight championships at stake in the unification. So Vlasov, he's 34 from Russia. He's fought world-class competition before at cruiserweight, but is now down to light heavy. Joe Smith Jr.'s got a great story, Luke. We remember him in 2016 from sending 50-year-old Bernard Hopkins to hell through the ropes and knocking him out. Since then, he's, you know, traded some wins and losses at the elite level, but he sort of figured out who he is now. And he's pretty damn good. He hits hard. He owns his own uh, tree-cutting business by day. He used to be like a union contractor. Like, he's got this rags-to-riches story and you know what? He's pretty damn good. This should be an interesting fight. Have you seen this man before, Luke? Only in highlights. This is, you know, I, I, we've talked about it a million times. As I've transitioned back to covering boxing, i got a lot of gaps to fill. This is one such gap. So I've watched highlights in preparation for this weekend and obviously looked at some of the what folks have had to say about him. But this will be my first time watching beginning to end, so to speak. So he, Luke, has, you know, for being a little bit raw, late to the game, sort of just figuring out how good he can be, he started with a smaller promoter and it took him a while to get noticed. He punches real hard and he's a hungry kid and, you know, he's a self-made man. So this will be very interesting. Vlasov certainly has the craft and technique advantages here, but can Joe Smith Jr. make a big statement? The reason why Smith is in this role and why ESPN and top rank Luke are sort of putting some gas behind him is he went in there against Elider Alvarez in his last bout, and that's the guy who knocked out Sergey Kovalev with one punch and then lost in their rematch by decision. Uh, he sent Elider Alvarez to hell. I mean, he knocked him the hell out, so that was a big wake-up call, and uh, it's going to be interesting. I don't have anything else to say about this, Luke. I look forward to seeing it, and hopefully I don't die before then. All right. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of death, dismemberment, and being wrong, Luke, it's time for everyone's favorite segment when Fridays we sit on that L, we straddle it, we sit on the cactus, because sometimes when we say shit into the microphone, Luke, we are dead wrong. Dead wrong. Look, I'm a little worried about you. I got a log in my left eye that I can't get out, and I'm not sure you're going to finish this broadcast, all right? Yeah, I might stroke out here, in which case uh, Morning Campbell is off and running. Yeah, well, Morning Campbell, yeah, where we regularly stroke out. <laughs> Believe that. All right. Uh, let's start out dead wrong with this, Luke. Uh, this was sent in by five or six different people. Jumbo, Abdullah, Vincent, Greg, Brendan, and Cameron. Wow, good thing we're reading all these names. On episode 139 at 5848, Luke states that Wonder Boy got KO'd by Matt Brown in their welterweight bout. Oh, right. Luke, that's dead wrong because he was defeated via unanimous decision at UFC 145. Yes, there was a moment where Matt Brown was over top of him, pounding on him. Uh, that sounded terrible. You know what I mean, ground and pound. So that is sort of stuck in my memory as the defining reality of that fight, but I am wrong. And All he right. didn't finish him off. It's a unanimous decision. Victory for Matt Brown. He did win. But um, wait, they have Stephen Thompson defeating Matt Brown? No, Matt Brown won that. Yeah, whoever made that lower third is dead wrong. Yeah, whoever. You know yeah, saying? who made the lower. The, the way I got it wrong was not that Wonder Boy won. That Wonder Boy did not lose via stoppage. He lost via decision. So uh, hey, to the people hey, who made the graphics, combat suck producer, a fat one. you're dead wrong. Yeah. yeah. 
Take that, mofo. All right, Luke, let's get into some Star Wars nerdum. This is from Charles. He says, BC, in today's Wheel of Death, which was Wednesday, of course, you talked about Princess Leia being sneaky. <laughs> in a, you know, in, in, on Jabba ship, Luke? Come on, do the math there. It, was, it, was, it did happen. Mm. Um, you also talked about it happening in Episode 3 on the Jabba the Hutt scene. It's actually Episode 6, even mm. though the movie was the third one they filmed. Yes, I'll take the L on there, Luke. I believe I've made multiple references to that be Return of the Jedi being Episode 3. Why? Because it was the third movie. Uh, the first one I saw in the theater, by the way, Luke, okay? My, my I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't think... Do you remember in 1990... I remember this because I graduated high school in 98... In 98, they re-released episodes 4, 5, and 6 digitally remastered in the theaters. And even all of those sold out. Those are, those are the first ones I went to in the theater, I think. I think I was too young for the other ones. I saw uh, Return of the Jedi in the theater. It was my five-year-old birthday party. We went to the ground round, and they had the clown there that day. And I got Return of the Jedi action figures. And then afterwards, we all went over to the theater, Luke. And it was one of those seminal movie experiences, along with seeing Karate Kid for the first time, along with a lot of those This like, that's just, yes, yes. The yes. 80s, bro. So, uh, They'll never understand. the the Being a kid in the 80s was the best. It was awesome. It was really good. Yeah, it was really good. It's all. It's awesome. All right. Uh, watch out for the Star Wars nerds, Luke. We got more. This one is Tim sliding in. He Bro, says, Look, you I'm have be... no idea how deep this rabbit hole goes. He says, uh, I'm going to be petty here because if Star Wars fans are one thing, it's petty. I have three dead wrongs, and they all came from Wednesday's episode, episode 140, during the Wheel of Death segment, and specifically during the Star Wars question. At an hour and 17 and 17 seconds, BBC refers to the streets of Tatooine. While not completely wrong, Tatooine is the planet. Mos Eisley and Mos Espa are the two most well-known cities on that planet. Sure, BBC isn't totally dead wrong, but you'd never say I was walking through the streets of Earth the other day. It's just a little off. What? So he, I you, thought he was going to dead wrong me for saying because it's a, Tatooine is a sand planet, Luke, a desert. Yes. I thought he was going to dead wrong me for that. He say, he's dead wrong me for saying the streets of Tatooine as if I would say I was walking the streets of Earth the other day. I walk yeah, the but, streets of Earth all the time, mofo. Right? But like they don't when they when they identify places in the galaxy, they don't identify countries within a planet. They identify the planet as like representative of an entire race of people. So they're always like, you know, the moon's on Alderaan or Tatooine yeah. or whatever the fuck. Yeah, you, yeah. Seriously? All right, Tim's not done. Then at 118, BBC describes Princess Leia as being her hottest during episode three. That's dead wrong. Yeah, we already got that dead wrong. All right, Tim, keep it moving here. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, BBC actually gets it right later on when referring to the Phantom Menace as episode one. This, this is not called dead right, guys. It's called dead wrong, okay? At 121, while referring to Amelia Clark's character in Solo, A Star Wars Story, and her boss, Luke says she worked for, you know... Red Dawn or Red Scorpion or whatever the fuck his name was, end quote. <laughs> this is dead wrong, Luke. The company Amelia Clark was employed by was Red Dawn, yes, but the man she worked directly under, played by Paul Bettany, was named Dryden Voss. Dryden Voss. But who did he work for? Crimson yeah, Dawn or some two, shit? Who does number two work for? Uh, Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, uh, hold on. There's more from this guy. There's one. There's one more BC. I, I didn't plan this. They did it to me. 
We Hold actually on, have I got one, one more from oh, Tim. Oh, you have one here. more? Go ahead. Go ahead. Now, before you guys get all sassy, yes, I fuck, says Tim, though poorly and even tragically. I'm not the world's biggest Star Wars fan. Like Luke, I can't get into the animated stuff like Clone Wars and Rebels. However, I am Dead Wrong's biggest fan, and I cannot resist jumping at any opportunity to be extremely petty. Love everything you two do seriously. Your friend, Timmy Poo. Luke, Timmy Poo says he does F. You believe him? Cantaloupes, mattresses. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Candle wa- candle wax. I don't know. Apple pies. All right, Luke, are you going to send me to hell for number four? What do you got? I, I had not planned on this because I thought you'd already taken an L on Twitter when someone else put this out. But they, the crew here loved this, so they actually sent it to me. You have a dead wrong, sir. You apparently don't know famous fighters' names. Let's roll the clip. It's the same fighter, and I am involved. Emmanuel, this is Brian Campbell. You mentioned you're different, you believe, from that first fight. In what ways do you think you've grown as a fighter in the past three years? I've grown into a new name. It's the same fighter, and I am evolved. Oh, God. Good job. Good job. Yeah, Luke, everybody knows the third Pitbull brother. Emmanuel Friede. Um, Can you turn off so we don't hear the, re- the return, please? Yeah, hey, Thank Mani- you. hey, Manich, get your shit together. You'll be dead wronged, all right? Uh, Luke, yeah, I'll take that L. By the way, Eric Albarracin sending me to hell there going, he called you by the wrong name. He called you Emmanuel. Also, the again, whoever's making the lower thirds here really needs to uh, you know, stick their balls in a toaster. Pitbull's first name can you spell name worse? I've never even seen names spelled wrong once in my life. The, the, whoever put this together found it's a way to an, do it. It's, it's anime for surname. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, Pitbull Emmanuel Sanchez Freire. That's our new Bellator champ. Good one. Yeah, Luke, I, I took that L. Somebody sent me to hell on the internet for that. Wouldn't be the first time, Luke. I, don't I know think it was Bohashinya uh, Depot did it. He they sends me to hell, Do you too, remember so this worry. thing, Luke, that moment? That moment, I've been sent to hell for a few things, Luke. Yeah. All right, we got anything else? Just a few belches. Excuse me. That's see, I don't want to do that, Luke. No, my body just, on. my body just does that sometimes. I'm sorry to the people for that. Um, yeah, that's all the L's we're willing to take this week. But morningcombat at gmail.com is your access to sending us more of your weird stuff, your submissions, your photos, your artwork, your theme songs. And even a few dead wrongs for every Friday. Uh, Luke, no touching tips this week, okay? Because I am getting ready for a va- vacation. Going to head to the Great Smoky Mountains, Luke. I'm going to find out how great they really are, okay? So I'm really excited about that. Um, next week, though, the, the the show doesn't stop. We've got Morning Combat coming at you live Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Of course, it's a big fight week. we got some Bellator. we got some uh, Jake Paul Askren. Bullshit. That's next week? Yeah, bro. We got uh, Gastelum Whitaker. We got a lot of stuff. There's probably some other box going on. There's there's some shit going on, Luke. So um, what do you have planned for the people? As you see our social channels, you can handle, follow our handles, you know, pull our handles. Uh, Luke, what, what does MK have planned in BC's absence? Well, there is no true MK without BC. But like, as I mentioned, we will try to keep the light on for you like Motel 6. Um, yeah, we're going to have Rashad Evans. 
uh, who's going to help co-host with me, and we're going to try and do the show as best we can. You know, we're going to tailor things to some of his strengths. Um, so we're going to be doing psychedelic drugs on the air. <laughs> I was going to say ayahuasca <laughs> testing, Luke. Is that what we're doing here? We're going to be doing that on the air. I'll probably be less lightheaded then than I am now. Uh, but yeah, we're going to do the show. And as dude, if we've got Jake Paul and you know Ben Askren to talk about, then I'm we got plenty of material. So I was actually looking up uh, some of the views for like. Um, for uh, food truck diaries to see like which ones hit and which ones were a little bit less than a hit. Uh, yeah. Shouts to Brendan, they're all hits in many ways. But um, yeah, well, if, if you're if you're going to be talking about food truck diaries, they're all they're all killer, no filler, Luke. Okay. Uh, yes, uh, but I noticed that the Ben Askren one had over a million, and the recent Ben Askren one had over a million, and then the recent uh, Eddie Alvarez and Demetrius Johnson had two forty k. Now two forty k is still great, but that's obviously a quarter of what. Ben Askren's pulling ahead of the Jake Paul fight. So um, it's a big fight. It's not a fight. It's whatever the hell it is. But it's uh, it, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Something in my eyeball, Luke. <coughs> yeah. You all right? All right. Well, you saw our social handles. Follow us there. Please like and subscribe this video. Um, man, Luke, if the people only knew what we had planned, the things that we want to do to them. They, they jump on board right now. If you're still freeloading and watching this without a subscription, you're wondering, who cares? We do, bro, because once we get these numbers to the direction that we believe they belong, you're going to be seeing a lot more of us, okay? You're going to be seeing all our tricks. All You, you want to see what's behind the curtain? You want to see what's below the, you know? You, you don't see the camera up to my nipples. You want to see what's below? Keep patronizing us so we can patronize you. Right, Luke? That is correct. I want to see below the nipples. Yeah, below the belt. Right, B? Yeah. All right. Um, that's I, I think that's the show for this week, Luke. I mean, you know, people can buy merch at store.show.com, of course, right? Please throw that thing up there. Thanks, Manich. Um, Luke, I, I mean, I'm a little overwhelmed lately finding out how talented our staff is. It's not just Jay Aaron, a.k.a. Remington Steele. Luke, by the way, speaking of Pennington James, his John Lennon tribute that he's been cryptically putting out there on IG, I think it launches like this weekend, right? I couldn't possibly tell you. All right, can I well, go we have vomit, a talented please? staff. <laughs> you know, can I go vomit? I mean, you know. All right, I was just gonna say, you know, you want you want the true music? Google "Lonely Angeles" by Manich. Okay, that's the that's the true. You know, you know what I'm saying. You want bars from from Gaff, the Taekwondo expert? We got some some hitters on this staff, even though they dead wrong a few lower thirds all right for luke's uh pending illness my name is uh brian campbell i will be off for the next week thank you from the bottom of my heart for uh for following what we do here it's a lot of bullshit but sometimes it hits you right between the eyes where you belong okay for the for the staff at malka cbs sports showtime um thank you okay take take your mental health seriously put yourself first okay so you can put others where they belong. All right. I'm Brian Campbell, and that's the end of my show for this week. For Luke Thomas, it's your boy BC signing off, reminding you to hope that all your ex-lovers are staying satisfied. How about that for some gains? Oh, yeah, two more words. We, we out. We out. <laughs>